0: Welcome to Giving, the show where we explore altruism with some of today's top business leaders. I'm your host, Alex Godin. Today, I'm lucky to be here with Henrik Werdelin. Henrik is the co-founder of Bark, America's fastest growing pet company. He's also the managing partner at Prehype, a venture development firm that works with some of the biggest corporations in the world. Henrik has a knack for helping startups start up. He was there at the inception of huge companies like Managed by Q, Roman, and And Andco. But Henrik is so much more than a founder and an angel investor. He's a deep thinker about what it means to be an entrepreneur and how entrepreneurship can be used for good. Henrik, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I'd love to understand, throw it back, where did it all start? What was your childhood like? How did entrepreneurship factor in? How did giving back factor into your childhood where where are you from <laughs> <laughs> i'm
1: from copenhagen I, I think in many ways it started with having a mother who don't really feel that there are any limits in the world like my mom is one of those people who kind of like if you would come down to her car there would be people washing it for her because she managed to kind of persuade them that that was a good idea. And had um, done everything from being a historian by training, but she'd also been like a private eye and a lot of other things. And so I think I always grew up in kind of an environment where everything was possible and and you just had to do it.
0: That's really interesting. And so when you think about Denmark as an influence and a place to come up, there's not a lot of billion-dollar entrepreneurship what? ventures going there's not a lot of of unicorn talk going on so I think there's not a lot of unicorn talk going on in Denmark where does what is it what are the roles corporations play in Denmark
1: yeah I think definitely so I say a few things one is there's definitely a lot of unicorn talk going on right now like uh we're chasing it but it's a small country there's 5 million people right so you also don't hear a lot of unicorns coming out of Detroit, right? Mm -hmm. And so like, uh, it's also just like a factor of the size, but there's definitely a cultural element. What I think is very unique with Denmark is that we have a a number of very large companies that people have probably heard about from from Lego to Mersk, the shipping company, to Vestas that makes uh, uh, windmill technology. And so we have a lot of like very big uh, companies there. What's interesting is a lot of them are owned by trust. And so I imagine that this might have been done you know, in the early days for tax reasons and stuff like that. But what have happened is that you have companies like Novo, uh, who does insulin, and NovoCyme, who does enzymes. You have companies like uh, Liu Pharma, that is uh, a pharmaceutical company for skincare, um, Lego, and what have you. A lot of these companies are governed by a board, and the board's mandate is not to optimize for shareholders of value, it is to optimize for what the mission of the company is. And so you have this very, I feel, unique kind of build-in notion on a lot of these companies that this is about helping people and this is about having a long-term view. And I didn't really discover that that was the case until like a few years ago where I really tried to unpack like why is it that Danish big companies don't often get sold? It's because they can, uh, they can't. Uh, Why is it that they often have like a very kind of social responsibility kind of built into their charter, and it's because it's built into the charter. Um, and so I, I find that to be kind of like a fascinating facet of Danish corporate landscape that a lot of people don't know about.
0: Shifting to Bark, the, the company that you've started, what does that look like for you? You have shareholders, and you're maximizing shareholder value, but unlike almost any other company I've seen, you're also mission-driven, and you're clear about sort of what you value. What what, what, it, what does that look like for Bark?
1: Well I think for Bark we were lucky that we didn't think it would be a big business when we started it. We, we th- thought this would be a small thing that Matt, Kylie and I would kind of do on the side. And so in many ways you can have I think more ideals when your premise is not to build a billion dollar business but is to build something that's really amazing for your dog and it's to hang out with people that you really like. And so I think that DNA was kind of like born into the early DNA of the company. I think since then, you know, mission is to make dogs happy and we've taken kind of approach uh, of doing that. And that is that, uh, if you, you know, I think often there's this kind of, Uh, notion that you can't have quality and quantity at the same time. You can't be a fast-growing company but also having quality. And I think that is a flawed assumption. I think the reality is that if you want to grow very quickly and you want to sustain growth, you need to have a very good product. And a good product, I think, is build on with um, people who are treating, treated nicely and in and an environment they really like to be in. Um, <clears throat> and then you treat customers as you would like to get treated yourself. And then you build something where you, you think that this will be for a long haul. If you have that quality product, then adding scale to it, I think probably just makes it better. It allows you to hire even smarter people. It allows you to do more research. It allows you to do better customer service. It allows you to do all these different things. And so, in many ways, I think we were, we're lucky that we built something um, and almost by chance it was built for the right reasons. And then now we're just obviously ecstatic that it's a it's a big business and financially it's been rewarding for, for our staff and our investors.
0: And it's a huge business. Like, I didn't realize how big a business it was. It's a huge fucking business and it's really, really cool. Um, I, I'd love to, to talk about, making dogs happy as as a mission. And it's not just making dogs happy, it's making dog owners happy. I'm lucky that I get to sit just around the corner from you and occasionally hear a story or two. Can you talk about what happens when a dog who subscribes to BarkBox passes away?
1: Yeah, well, obviously, it's something that none of us here are kind of could ever imagine happened to our own dogs right one of the very few bad things about dogs is they don't live as long as we do and so the reality is that for many dogs they live 10 15 years and so uh, what we learned after having done the business for a while was that some of our subscribers and members they die and it is a very very sad time for everybody and so um, we have a team, and, I, and I'll make a little bit of a long-venture version of it, but we have a team out in Columbus, Ohio, is some of the kindest people in the world and who all have dogs. And they, when that happened, just very intuitively uh, started to write uh, cards for them, condolence cards, and everybody in the office would sign them. And it was something that was done um, because th- that is just like the natural feeling that people who care a lot about something, and that's the feeling they have when something like that uh, happened. Now that then kind of like obviously our, uh, a lot of our customers got very uh, got like wouldn't say happy because there's this dark time for them, but like they it helped them a little bit, and and so that's now something that we do. We send out postcards to people whose dogs unfortunately die and uh, we try to express just incredible how incredible we are for their loss
0: and they're not just postcards they're handwritten and they're really thoughtful what is the reaction from from customers like because this is really truly an act of generosity and it doesn't just come from a place of business value like what? What is it? What is it like seeing that in the no, world? No, I think
1: I think that's right, and I think you know I, I'm almost a little bit embarrassed talking about it now because it make it sounds like it's kind of like a strategy we have. Like, obviously people get very happy about it. Uh, they get no, they don't get it happy. They get surprised that there are corporations out there that give a shit, and that give a shit even when they clearly can no longer be customers. Um, and so um, we get you know, thousands of thanksgiving thanksgiving cards from people. We feel that we are building true long-term relationships with dogs and their people. And sometimes that means that people don't have a dog at that point, but they're still somebody who's kind of part of our pack. And so it's, it's definitely something that's very meaningful when we get it. And so, and, but I think it's back to the point. It, it definitely has a positive, I think, um, impact on our business because people, they, it's a signal for people that we really care we don't do it because we want them to talk about us we do it because that we really care and i think i think that is very important i think if suddenly it became like a strategy where i was like okay i can see that our uh, ltv increases or like our cac on the customer that gotten like a condolence card that like then i think it will become empty and customers would would do that i also for example uh, a lot of times when people have leave us and been with us for a period of time i send them an email with my my uh, my phone number, and, and just say, "Hey, sorry to disturb. I just wanted to thank you for having been a customer with us for a few years, and sorry to let you go. If it can be helpful, anything, let me know. But otherwise, just a big thank you from us. And I think people are just so blown away that people care that they they get very excited. I said a third of people write back with like, "Hey, I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, we're just moving, and so um, you know had to cancel, but I'll definitely sign up. Or I lost my job, or whatever it could be." um uh, so uh so uh, it's uh but it's really meaningful to have that business and i think all those things kind of like they work together right you know that fuel our passion to make our customers even happier and that fuels their passion for to talk more about us and that's i think many ways the reason why we've been growing as much as we have
0: yeah and there's really is an ethos of caring and caring about dogs and what are some of the other ways that because you, you've have given back to the dog community as a whole, b- beyond just your customers. What what are some examples of that?
1: Well we believe in general that you know, we serve all dogs, not just the ones that in home the unfortunate truth is there's two million dogs in the US could euthanized each year. And so there is a big issue on how do we solve that problem and interestingly, it could be a solvable problem because you have a lot of people who are looking for dogs and so there's this odd match where a lot of people don't necessarily go down to a shelter because they think it's a less quality dog there's a lot of things that people just don't you know and, and let me just emphasize, like, we love all dog owners. Like, I think if, if you're somebody who has a very specific dog that you want from a breeder, like, it's not that we look down upon that. We just think that you should just consider, is there something specific you want or is a shelter good option? One of the things that I felt was an issue was that people thought there was just less quality dogs. And so I wanted to try to create an, um, a product that basically solved that. And so we came up with the idea of making Tinder for dogs, which were basically, it's called Dog Buddy. And it's uh, basically a place where you can go in and you can swipe the dogs that's available for adoption in your area. And if you swipe to, I'm there now, so I forget, like to the right, <laughs> or like the, the thing where you like them, then we will give um, the number to uh, to the place where you can go and adopt it. And so we had, we've had a, a, a decent success with taking our our passion for technology and a passion for kind of finding scalable ways of solving a problem and applying that to helping the the shelter community um... so we give them money and and projects and s- products and stuff like that and we try to tie them into our business in general but we've this buck buddy i think is a fun example of a, how you can do something which can both grow your business it can help a real issue and it, it could be a fun technology thing to do at the same time
0: you're also giving toys and money to shelters what does that look like well, I, we have uh, a lot of
1: different shelters that we have partnership with. We um, use uh, we 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 try to find different ways to work together. S- some of them we have very deep relationships with, where we uh, do events together and we sponsor products that they then put up for charity raffles and stuff like that. Um, some we treat as affiliates, and we do that because we think it's a good scalable way for us to constantly give them money but also not tap out of how much money we can give them by them introducing their customers to our products Um, then um, they can get an affiliate fee like everybody else and that is just kind of like a continuous kind of stream of checks that we can send them
0: that's so cool this is so wonderful (laughs) Uh, I was going to shift from Bark to the broader entrepreneurship world unless there's more stuff from Bark we should talk about
1: Depends a little bit what your audience kind of like is looking for. I, I think we I think in general like this idea of, you know, full profit for good is an interesting kind of like thing because I think historically we've had these two ideas that there is the charity world and there is the, the um, kind of like the commercial world. I think you guys are very inspiring because that you you act like you are "quote unquote" a normal startup. Like you're very passionate about making sure that the conversion funnels work and that like you can actually uh, scale the business. And so, uh, when you kind of like donate money to your charity, like you kind of get more for your money than than I, I think you might be able to do other places. And I think we are seeing that more and more. Like obviously in Denmark, they have like these big companies that have like built in good good into their their charter. Um, I think that the hair the will be and the Tom Toms of the world, Tom Shoes of the world have kind of like started to do that um, and I think in many ways one the thing that we should think of more about as entrepreneurs is our kind of like responsibility to society because the reality is that it used to be tech entrepreneurs we did kind of gimmicky small things like we would do like a dating app and then that become very valuable. And then sometimes founders afterwards, we kind of donate money to shelters. Increasingly, our products are actually impacting society. They're impacting society because they change elections. They're impacting society because now we can put 3D printed space rockets up that put nano satellites in low open space, and they can be used for good and bad. We, we, we we kind of like we as entrepreneurs now are touching so much of the economy and so much of the society and i think we've always because it's such a young industry i've had a little bit of the notion of like well you know the good doing good is for other people like i'll do that when i'm done with a business and i think increasingly we have responsibilities entrepreneurs to kind of build that into the dna of our organization treat our staff fairly, making sure that our customers are treated well, and then figuring out like how can we touch this, the world and society in a way where we lead a positive impact, and, and sometimes we can even do that in a way where it also build our business.
0: And Sometimes it ends up being a really big business like Bark, <laughs> where you end up with we're in a building here when, on Canal Street where four floors of people are truly dedicated to making dogs happy all day. Yep. Um, and you talked about entrepreneurship. I was Outside, talking to uh, our mutual friend uh, Dan, and about sort of questions to ask you, and he pointed out that you have this brilliant riff about the future of work as robots come in and how entrepreneurship fits into that. What what is that?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it's that brilliant, but like I, I basically when I um, uh, I was in a company that got sold and then. I basically was trying to figure out what to do with my career. And what dawned on me, having having just read, uh, what's it called, like singularities in there, uh, was that there's a decent chance that we will live to wear 100, which means that we have to work to wear 80. Now, at the time I was in my mid-30s, and while I felt I kind of like had been through quite a lot of my career, it dawned on me I was probably only one-third through, and that the world around me would change quite dramatically over the next let's say 50 years I had to work uh, left and so I needed to acquire a two things I need to acquire new skill sets that would allow me to have the optionality to do interesting work as kind of like robots and younger people than myself would come in and try to compete for the for the jobs that I was interested in and so this idea that the road is long is something which has kind of been steering a lot of my personal kind of career objective but also how I build, build my businesses and and uh, why I think integrity and a lot of other things is very important in the world not just because they're important but also because I think we'll be along for, uh, for a long time and so therefore uh, you have to do that. The second thing I'm fascinated about is that um, I think that you'll probably have to change your careers a few times. And we didn't have to do that. Uh, I think you have to do that today either because that you get forced to do it or because that simply you run out of energy in whatever you've been doing. Uh, and so I'll give this story of my, my, my wife, uh, who I adore. Um, she, she's a very, very smart woman and kind of like had a very big career in visual effects for movies and found out that for the lives that it's a very busy job where people work hundred hours a week um, and she wanted to become a mother and didn't want to be somebody who worked a hundred hours a week when when having a kid and so what she did was she retooled herself and is now doing a, um, a you know a, a postgrad in in bioscience and is trying to retrain to be a a scientist that will study viruses which is obviously completely different from what she done before but i do think that that is a sign of it, of the time where you might have to for whatever reason to retool yourself in the middle and while 6 years or 3 years of reeducation sound like a very long time if you think yourself as like a 50 year career it's actually like a pretty small period of time and so
0: part of this thesis is that Entrepreneurship is a broad skill set that lasts throughout your 80 year career. What what can you talk about that? Yeah, my, my
1: thesis is a little bit that that entrepreneurship has been the term has been hijacked a little bit by you know like the the social network movie where everybody thinks that being an entrepreneur is about um, making a billion dollars. And the reality is that I think that entrepreneurship is really a scalable and sustainable way to solve a problem. So I'm of the belief that, A, you can be an entrepreneurial person working in a company or a charity without being a founder. And so you can have the mindset and the toolset of being an entrepreneur. Um, and so uh, so I think that that's, that's one thing. And, and the second thing is that I think that entrepreneurship and being an entrepreneur doesn't have to be about tech entrepreneurship. Half of the U.S. Uh, workforce work for a company with less than 10 people. And meanwhile, we talk about that as it's a really bad thing. It's, it's referred to as a lifestyle company with a slight like, derogatory kind of term. And and the reality is that people who build small businesses is the backbone of our whole society and I think in many ways is the backbone of like the American dream. And so I think there has been a lack of celebration of entrepreneurship as a self-identified skill set and and mindset. Um, And it's been a little bit too kind of like uh, angered in Let's just build a very large business that, you know, sell for a lot of money. And it doesn't matter how you treat your staff. And it doesn't matter how you treat your customers. And it doesn't matter what impact it has to society. And I think that's a shame because entrepreneurship is so much more. And I think it's so much more important than
0: that. And something I've heard you talk a little bit about is how you can use entrepreneurship in, in government In other types of organizations. Are there examples of things that you've either been a part of or watched happen where someone is using entrepreneurship to shift the culture for the better?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of things happening that probably at this point is not defined as entrepreneurship, but it is. I think anything from You know, from what I read about the way that some of the military is working, like the SEAL teams, they're these like independent small units that goes out and solve a problem in a very independent way, right? We don't think about them as entrepreneurs, but the reality is like when they do raids and stuff like that, that is a very entrepreneurial endeavor, right? They have... fix a set of like kind of like resources not because they does not necessarily have the money but because that they're carrying all the stuff right and things like that so that's one element i think you see some very interesting dynamics now on finding ways where we can use technology to make society better um i think it's um, but maybe you can put it in the show notes like i think it's called code for america um which is an organization that really look at like how do we take software and we make people better like i i've heard anecdotally uh you know there's an app where you can ch- uh, check um how much money you have left on, uh, on your f- uh, food stamps account uh which is something that was very difficult to do previously you probably know what it's called and
0: yes fresh ebt it's an amazing app separate <laughs> from code for america pro- uh, but fresh ebt is a really powerful thing and at code for america they're using technology and entrepreneurship to embed with mostly cities and build the technology that's needed to sort of to to take our society to the next level.
1: And then I think you start to and this is... And then you start to see I think A, an urge both from people who works in, in government and people and entrepreneurs who are really trying to understand that we will have to kind of figure out these things together. And so when i meet with some of my friends who are entrepreneurs in england they start talking about like well how they can use ai to make um, basically healthcare better for them there uh, when i meet people from the government here like they're very intrigued about how you applied entrepreneurship how do you contextualize entrepreneurship so that you can uh, ripe some of the benefits in, in in organizations like that and so I think it's early but I think it's coming and I guess it's not really early like this has been an entrepreneurial culture f- since the beginning of, of this country's history and so in many ways I think we're uh, just kind of putting new terminology on things that are already happening but hopefully by putting terminology on it we can empower more people to kind of take advantage of it.
0: When you talk to a founder yep. what's the pitch for creating a mission driven company? for creating a company like Bark that says we're about making dogs happy and conveniently that's good business.
1: It's funny because when you say it, like I don't, like I kind of react to there should be a pitch. Mm -hmm. I mean like people should do stuff because it's the right thing to do. I guess if you want to try to extract kind of a pitch from my experience is that um, I have found and Everybody does things in different ways, so by no means like a, a prescription for how to do stuff. But at least what it worked for me was that when I started to do things for the right reasons, things start to be financially more rewarding for me. When I built PreHype, I did it because I wanted to hang with cool people and build cool shit, and suddenly it really worked. When I built Bark, everybody thought I was an idiot and that it was this stupid idea, and you know, like people made fun of it literally every day but it was very meaningful making something that would make my own dog happy Uh, and it was very meaningful to go in to my colleagues who are incredible cool people and funny and and we just had a blast and and so for a data point of one uh i found that by doing things for the right reasons A, it's turned out to be more successful for me financially, but also statistically you fail with a lot of stuff. And so if nothing else, like if you you hang with good people and you do something that's good for the world, then even if you're not financially rewarded, then you have a good time and you're doing something meaningful (laughs) for the world. And so uh, that seemed to be kind of like a payment in itself. And so I guess like the pitch for me would be the way that you can de-risk entrepreneurship is by doing it with people you like and doing it for something that is good for other things than just making money because the statistical chance of you making money is so low anyway that you might as well getting those two benefits um i would say my then my, my experience is that if you do that then the, the score takes care of itself when it comes to the financial
0: part beautiful thank you thank you <laughs> henrik for being here thank of you for the work you're doing and.
1: It's such a treat to get to sit around the corner. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to be on the podcast.
0: Thanks for listening. Giving is brought to you by Lemon Tree Foods and produced by Alexandra De Palma. Special thanks to Anna Koppelman. See you next week.